dear listeners, is yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. I'm excited, not just because it's almost the conclusion of the AFL Home and Away season and it's set up to be an extraordinary finish to the Home and Away season, not only because it is the AFLW season along the, uh, around the corner as well, starting in the men's bye week between the home and away season and the finals, but also because I've got my good friend Eli Duxon back on the podcast once again, ladies and gentlemen. You know him, you love him. He's your favorite Brisbane Lions supporter. Maybe <laughs> he's the only Brisbane Lions supporter you know. Eli, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me back on. I'm probably one of the only Brisbane Lions supporters that I know. There's, there's only a handful that are that I talk Brisbane Lions with and two of them are my family members. So, um, yeah, no, great to be back on. Mate, uh, I'm excited to chat footy with you. It's been a huge weekend on field and off of it. I know I say that every single week, but this time especially it feels very pertinent. There was a lot that happened both on field and off of it. Leading up until last night, obviously, with the news of Patrick Cripps, which we will get to uh, but basically, dear listener, there's three sections of the podcast. First section, we review the round that's just been. Uh, second section, talk about the big talking points. And then section three, we preview the round to come. So let's get straight into section one. Eli, top two highlights, if you please. Well, I think the first one is pretty obvious, and that's uh, Josh Kennedy's um, yeah, final game, and we're going to touch on that later. But um, yeah, just simply, simply incredible. You love to like the pointy end of the season is is great because we get towards finals. But um, there's some retirement games and farewell games with some legends, and we're going to have quite a few uh, this season. So that was obviously my biggest highlight. But um, I think generally for me, it's the quality of footy across the board. Um, like there were some weaker performances, sure, but um, scores are up, games are entertaining. There was no major blowouts, uh, it's fair to say. Um, and the game's been building, you know, we've been so critical um, for so long. I think probably last year or the year before Casper, when I was on, we we're like, well, is, is the game dead? We're having all these dire conversations and um, I, I just don't see them happening as much anymore because the, the standards picked up and there's a lot to like at the moment. And um, the weekend was a pretty good uh, representation of that. You know, there was probably only one game, um, which you could say was uh, a little bit disappointing, um, which was simply a second half collapse. Um, but uh, let's be honest, every team is privy to that at some point and only have to look back as far as last week for that. Um, but we'll move on from that. Um, but the only, only game that was sort of low scoring, you know, one side uh, where one side didn't um, yeah, really kick it like a, a pretty good score was the Hawthorne Gold Coast game, which was still 70 to 63. That's a good game of footy to watch. Mm. Close game. So yeah, I think just the standard of footy. Um there's like I said, there's lots to like and we're going to touch on it later with finals coming up, but um it, it's sure to be a very exciting finish to the year and uh, great final series. I like it. I like it a lot. Um yeah for me number one I've doubted them they they went on this incredible 10 game winning streak and I still I doubted them because I thought they beat Gold Coast by five points no disrespect to Gold Coast but they won't be playing finals football this year they defeated Port Adelaide by a goal no disrespect to Port Adelaide they won't be playing finals football this year they barely got past North Melbourne they barely got past Essendon teams that won't be playing finals football and I thought it's been a long time since they have beaten a team inside the top eight not their fault the way the fixtures has turned out not their fault at all but I thought Melbourne uh big ins for Melbourne a couple big outs for Collingwood and I thought that it was going to be a major opportunity for the Deeds to show Collingwood what it means to be a premiership contender and then Collingwood did it again uh I'm sorry Collingwood fans that it's taken me so long but I am a believer in the black and white this year I now think they can win the premiership um, so weird. I put this in the highlight section. Maybe it should be in the low light section. But no. Um, for me, <laughs> the other highlight it is Josh Kennedy, the equal most goals ever in a VFL AFL game. Sorry, second equal most goals ever in a VFL AFL game for a uh, final game 
for any player, an incredible performance. Um, just absolutely amazing. Had eight, should have had nine. Um, finished with eight goals, two, could have had ten. Then would have only been the second ever player to have ten-plus goals in a final game. Uh, still nowhere near as great as the great Fred Fanning, the GOAT with 18 goals in his last game, uh, which is still a VFL AFL record to this day, seven decades later, eight decades later. But nevertheless, an incredible performance um, from one of the, if not the best key forward in the 21st century so far. Um, and not many players get to go out on their, get to go out on their terms. Um, the last big forward to do that was probably Jason Dunstall. And so great effort, Josh Kennedy. Uh, low lights time, unfortunately for me, it's the other Josh Kennedy. As a Swan supporter, broke my heart to hear how his career has come to an end. Um, deserved a better send-off than trying to come back through a VFL game and then re-injuring that dodgy, dodgy, dodgy. Apparently it was his good hamstring. Actually, I was about to say it was his dodgy hamstring. Apparently it was his good hamstring. Um, it's a disappointing final um not to use the cliche swan song for josh kennedy there um oh sorry there was one highlight that i wanted to mention as well i know i normally go with two highlights but screw it it's my podcast i get (laughs) to do what i want um in that same game though the return of ben cunnington an amazing effort considering the battle that he's been through and it was inspirational i think for all footy fans and dare I say all Australians who saw the footage of him performing uh, for North Melbourne's VFL. And I think he's playing AFL this weekend and what a return it would be. And I hope the kangaroos get up for him, Uh, but we'll get to that later. For me, the other low light, ah, goodness, where do I even begin? You know, it's interesting. Mark Robinson in the Herald Sun on Monday wrote something that was very true. And I think is a good point. He said, the most important thing to take out of the Brisbane-Carlton game on Sunday was that Carlton kicked the first six goals of the last quarter and yet still trailed by 22 points. You know why? You know why that's the most important thing? Because it meant that Carlton trailed by 58 points at one stage. How on earth? And that was before the whole Patrick Cripps saga. How on earth, right, you travel to Brisbane an important game, right? Your season is on the line. You need to win and you're in. You've got the Bulldogs breathing down your neck. You've got the Saints breathing down your neck. You've got the Tigers breathing down your neck. Need to bounce back against uh, from a horrible loss against the Crows. And yet you trail. I think at one stage they trailed like 82 to 18, which is like mind-boggling. That's like the Carlton, not of last year. That's like the Carlton of the Brendan Bolton era. The Mick Bolthouse, Brendan oh. Bolton, Carlton. No offense, Brendan Bolton, but you know. Anyways, um, it was a shambolic performance, and I'm I'm still gobsmacked that they put that kind of effort in in such a big game of football. And now it's getting to that desperation stage. If it wasn't already, sirens are going off at Carlton uh, headquarters. Right, the emergency button has been reached towards uh if it hasn't been pressed already Eli what were your top two lowlights I'm guessing that game was a highlight for you you'd, you'd think so wouldn't you um but oh, come that on. final that final quarter you know oh come on you're yep. a hard you're a hard man please I might be it was great don't get me wrong those three quarters were fantastic but um if that's an outlier performance I'll accept that but the problem is there wasn't an outlier. We only have to go back as far as last week to to see a major collapse to finish the game. Um, this week, I could understand it. You know, we're in a pretty comfortable position. We, we're going to have a five-day break. Um, not that that should be a factor. Um, clubs should still be able to, and players should still be able to get up for that. It's not a new thing that they're doing. It's not the COVID season where they've got like three ga- three days to turn, um, turn around a performance. But... Um, yeah, for me, it was just disappointing to see us bottle it by that much um, to the point where um, I still thought that we could have lost that game and, and Carlton certainly had a chance. Everything had to go had to go right for him, admittedly. But, um, yeah, it, it's a common trend and uh, it's, it's something that could come, come back to bite us at the end of the year because, um, one, we lost a lot of percentage in that. Uh, we could have been... Um, 
looking into the top four. Um, I mean, we still are, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be a tough finish to the year for um, all teams in that top four, and we will touch on that. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it was just very concerning to see us slip a lead like that uh, in, in such a fashion. You know, it, it was just Bruce Reed footy and... Um, you're right. It was it was a great three quarter performance, but unfortunately, that's not going to hold up at the end of the year, and um, that's my biggest concern. You know, coming to, coming into the year, any team sort of challenging. You said those expectations, and um, as a Brisbane as a Brisbane fan, admittedly, I think a lot of us too in the same boat. Uh, I mean, the supporter groups on Facebook, um, we're harsh critics, but because the club set those standards so high based on uh, prior years, um, we do expect it, but. I'll admit it was it was great for those three quarters. Um, the the final quarter was the only one that I watched live. Uh, I did watch the replay um, to see us play good footy, um, which was awesome. But yeah, that that fade out is just very concerning for me. Um, and lowlights, look, I'm I'm sort of reaching for this one, um, but for me, it's probably it might be the Essen second half, but it wasn't terrible. You know, um, I think in those situations at this time of the year. Um, especially the way they've played in the second half of the season, you're hoping that Essendon were going to really close out the season stronger than fans would probably um, would have hoped for, especially at the start of the year. I, I had them build for top eight like a lot of people did uh, based on last year and um, uh, sort of, yeah, another year on of development and under under Ben Rutten, you get a full preseason again. Um, but, yeah, you really want to close out games like that. Not that they were in a commanding position, um, but, yeah, it was just a bit of a fade, especially for GWS to um, sort of come amongst the bill. Like I said, that's a bit of a stretch and maybe I'm being a harsh critic across the board um, because, like, like I said earlier, it was pretty good round of footy. Um, the biggest margin was 45 points and even still there was 175 points scored for the game. Um, I think most fans would be happy with that when they, when they leave the ground. So, um, yeah, probably reaching for both of those, but uh, they were mine. I like it. I like it. I, I knew I knew that I should not have been confident heading into the game against GWS. I knew it. I said on the podcast last week, I'm setting myself up for failure. So sorry, Essendon fans. You know what? I take full responsibility for it because God knows the uh, club doesn't seem to be taking full responsibility for it. Anyways, um, on to the major talking points to come out of the last few days of football, because it has been kind of crazy. Let's start off with the big news last night. So Patrick Cripps gets two weeks, tries to appeal at once, fails, still on two weeks. And then after four and a half hours of deliberating and hearing evidence, he is free to play the last, the last two games of the home and away season, and I reckon this could change the makeup of the top eight. Eli, I want to ask you, was the original two-week ban the right decision? Was the uh, fact that he got off the right decision? Um, I was surprised that he got off, to be honest. Um, do I think two weeks was fair to begin with? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. I still thought it deserved one week because when a player chooses to bump, they are responsible for the outcome. And the AFL set the precedent for that all year. Whether you agree with it or not, um, we should be looking at the action rather than the result. But um, the way that the AFL and uh, the match review panel has gone about it this year, they're clearly linked. Um, the argument that he braced, I can understand. And because footy is such a fast game, you can sometimes you can tie those sort of incidents down to being a footballing incident. But we saw Mitch Robinson go through a similar action earlier in the year where he braced for contact and he got a week. Um, I, I don't think we went through two tribunal processes and, uh, and appeals. Um, so uh, <laughs> it, it, that if we had, if we might've gone a week, but obviously not important for us at the start of the season. But um, to be honest, it's good for footy and it's good for Carlton fans that he's playing because you're right. It's, it's, it is going to help dictate things so much more because aside with or without, a Paddy Cripps type player, that's a big difference. Um, he's he's certainly gotten back into some top form this year, you know, after some criticism. Um, season's gone by as he battled injuries. So um, it's good for footy. I think he deserves probably a week at least. Um, but the fact that he's not playing Brisbane, um, I'm not too fast about it, to be honest. If he's playing Brisbane, I might have said, yeah, no, nah, he should have been off. But um, 
yeah, it's, it is interesting though, because like I said, the AFL set a precedent all year. Um, so if clubs choose to then go through the appeal process twice, um, they might have some success. Um, and it could even come back for finals, you know. There, there could be an incident where um, in the last round of the year and the someone gets suspended for some similar incident and suddenly we've got precedent here again. You know, it sort of um, squashes all the rest of the stuff that we saw earlier in the year. Um, so it is interesting that he got off. Um, but, yeah, good for footy. I like it, mate. I like it. Um yeah, look, I was surprised that he got off, to be honest with you. Um, I know I talked to my dad about it, and the first thing that I said, as first thing that he said to me when I told him that Patrick Cripps got off was, you're kidding me. Um, I, it, whatever was going to happen, it was going to be an extremely divisive, extremely divisive thing. And on social media, it's played out exactly that way. Um yeah. Now, correct me if I am wrong, since you're the Brisbane supporter, going to put the heat on you. Uh, the Brisbane player concussed, right? Yep. The Kalamachi has missed this week. Uh, well, it's really concussed. He was probably stubbed out of the game moments after he came to the bench. It was, yeah, quite clear. He, he got off. He walked off fine. Um, like, it wasn't a, a major concussion. Uh, like, it was one of the big ones that we've seen. Um, he wasn't rolling over the boundary line as he was coming off. But, yeah, he was stubbed out straight away. So... A Brisbane player gets concussed. I thought this competition was about the result, not the action, because it's been so frequent that it's been the the result of the hit or the result of the bump and not the hit or the bump itself, which you can argue the merit of. I actually disagree with that because I think, you know, it's, it's a precedence where somebody would say, oh, well, you know, that person got off okay for I did the exact same bump, but just because, you know, I concussed someone and the person that they bumped wasn't concussed, I get two weeks and they get a fine. I don't understand. Um, The AFL has come out and they've they've made this big show about, you know, being against concussion and doing all this, all this to to, to help um, lessen the incidence of concussion, especially with the amount of research that's gone into CTE and brain injuries and how that's changed personality and lead to lead to awful things for former players. Um, but with that being said, they, they, they then come out and they have this kind of a, this kind of a result really. And I understand that there are a lot of football players, a lot of football supporters saying, Oh, bring back the eighties, bring back the seventies. <laughs> you know, when it was, when football was football, you bring know, back we the didn't beef. have any of this, SJW nonsense and, you know, and all this stuff. Blah, blah. It used to be tough. I mean, football is a contact sport. Might as well play netball, blah, blah. Yeah, that's all well and good. You can say that from the comfort of your couch. <laughs> yeah. You can say that when you're watching the sport from the stand. Try saying that when you just got concussed by a bloke simply because you were going for a ball and he was going for the ball. Now, the contentious thing for me was... Did he mean to bump or not, right? And I think for me, it comes down entirely to when did the ball arrive? Did the ball arrive at the contest before Patrick Cripps jumped or did he arrive Did he arrive at the ball, sorry, after he jumped or as he was jumping? For me, I think Patrick Cripps jumped late. That was just, and I'm not just saying that because I dislike Carlton, I mean, I'm partially saying that because I dislike Carlton. <laughs> but for me, he arrives late. That's a that's a bump. You're not going for a marking contest in that instance. Yeah. So for me, I'm I mean, I think maybe two weeks was a bit extensive, but a week, I thought it should have gotten a week. You know, it's only fair. If you knock out, if you can cuss a player, then you should get the same amount of time off that the player that you can cuss. How about that for a rule? Keep it nice and simple. Same for everyone. No confusion. Seriously, I thought the rules were complicated in this competition to explain. The tribunal, good luck explaining that to anyone. Now, on to uh, Friday night. Day beforehand, I think it was last Thursday, it might have been last Wednesday, Ed Langdon, uh, I was going to say let the fox out amongst the chickens, but maybe I should say, let the duck out amongst the fishes. 
by saying that <laughs> Collingwood were all duck and no dinner. And at the end of Friday night, it was Collingwood who had the last laugh with their social media team tweeting one word, quack. Now, I want to ask you, Eli, I want to ask you, right? Fair play to the Collingwood social media team, by the way, for that. Um, but I want to ask you, should players, right, refrain from using social media and the media in general to taunt opposition clubs before playing them? like Ed Langdon seemed to do. Um, do you think that helped cost Melbourne the game? It certainly contributed to their downfall um, because you got a Collingwood side that had much more to play with than they originally did. Their side that were coming in and, I mean, aspirations at the top of the ladder probably um, slim with Geelong's run home and, and them being a game ahead, but uh, they're playing for a home qualifying final now against a side like, and coming up against a side who was also vying for that same spot, you know, number two on the ladder with Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, it made it made Collingwood come out with more to play, and a side with a point to prove can be dangerous, especially if they're hell-bent on executing it. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams, and my team included, Brisbane, uh, fall at the big games, but um, I think Collingwood's shown year after year that they're up for it. Uh, and they're, they're so bullied, you know, the, you mentioned the winning streak earlier. And no one really expected them to be here. So they've got that underdog uh, mentality anyway. Um, so adding more fuel to the fire probably didn't help Melbourne's cause. But honestly, I love it. I love it. It brings some excitement and more enticement to the game, especially for a neutral. Um, and like we probably, I think on the other side of it, we, we would start to complain when players just don't give us anything. You know, you you Scott Penderbreeze of five years ago. It's like, yeah, you're a gun, but say something, man. It doesn't have to be controversial, but just get out there. Like, I don't even know if you're like a, a funny guy or not. <laughs> um, so I love hearing the personalities, especially with the younger players too. Um, you don't have to look as far as Jack Genevan to see that. Uh, there's so many personalities in the game and it makes it a much more interesting watch. Everyone loves a villain in some way, in one way or another. So um Certainly, yeah, booy the Collingwood fans, but clearly booy the Collingwood side. So should they refrain? I don't think so, um, unless it's certainly not warranted. You know, when Brisbane and Gold Coast were trying to um, sort of manufacture a rivalry at the start of the Q clash, um, I think it was Simon Black said something about Michael Riscatelli um, early on in that. So it's it, it does sort of conjure up a lot of emotions. Um, players shouldn't refrain from it, but... To answer your question, yes, I, I certainly think Collingwood were, <laughs> were fired up because everyone everyone was aware of it. They didn't play it down uh, like a lot of people. They're like, yeah, no, we saw that, but we're just focusing on our game. There wasn't any of that. It was all, yep, we heard it, we acknowledged it, and we're coming out to play. And then Scott Penelbury on Triple M the next morning. And I say Scott Penelbury five years ago because now he's realised that um, he might need to look at life after a footy if he wants to stay involved in the game. So that's why he's getting involved in the media. Um, but it's great. You love to see it because he's a champion of the game. But he said um, he made a snide comment about, yeah, ducking at some point. Uh, I can't remember the context of it, but um, they're all certainly aware of it. And it yeah, it makes it a much more interesting, interesting watch, that's for sure. You're still on mute, I must say, Casper. I am on mute. Thank you. you know <laughs> and I'm glad I did because I stuffed up the start of that sentence. But you guys didn't hear that. So as far as you're aware, <laughs> that sentence was beautiful and perfect. Um, I agree that clubs do not need extra incentives to, to go out and Beat their to beat their opponent. Like you don't need extra incentive, especially when you're Collingwood, when you haven't fed in anyone a substance in like 10 weeks. You're having this big opportunity, Friday night football, big MCG crowd. This is your opportunity to stamp yourself as a premiership contender. It was second versus third heading into it. You don't need extra incentive. And all of a sudden, Collingwood get this gift from Ed Langdon. Right now, I'm not saying that had Ed Langdon not said that Melbourne would have won, but I'm definitely saying that it helped Collingwood win because you should have seen how ferocious Collingwood were from the center bounce. I was there at ground level at the MCG pretty much 
watching that and it was brutal. Three or four players tackled Ed Langdon within the space of 30 seconds. It was amazing to watch. Um, as for players doing this kind of thing generally, I agree as a mutual supporter that it's a good, that, you know, that it's exciting for the game and you love to see, you know, you love to see players with some character, you know, you, you love the fact that there are some villains in the game and you just love to see that. But man, if I was a coach, I would be furious because <laughs> what a distraction. And you bring up Simon Black and Michael Ricciatelli when, uh, when the latter went to the Gold Coast Suns ahead of the first Q clash. Yeah, guess what happened? The Suns won. So it's a recipe for making the game more exciting. It's also a seemingly a recipe for losing. So I'm just saying, players, if anyone's listening to this podcast, first off, it's an honor that you're listening. But secondly, maybe just think twice before coming out and saying that, or at least making sure that if you're going to say that, you back it up. Now, next talking point, Buddy Franklin. There's been so much talk about what's going to happen. Is he going to go wherever Alistair Clarkson's going to go? Who knows where Alistair Clarkson's going to go? Is Buddy Franklin going to go uh, back to Melbourne? Is he going to stay with the Swans? Is he going to retire? The latest uh, popular theory is that he is going to Queensland because his family, well, not his family, but his partner's family is on the Gold Coast and they want to be closer to them, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, especially because they've got a young family. But I want to ask you this, Eli. Buddy Franklin to the uh, to the Lions, do you think it's going to happen? And does this mean that Joe Danaher is going to be squeezed out and thus come home? <laughs> um, as for Joey, um, I think we're probably very on the side of him at this stage. Um, I'd say the side of youth, but even then, uh, in comparison, Certainly, but uh, he's he's certainly not a young man anymore. But look, my gut tells me no. It it, it honestly surprised me if, if we were to um, sort of yeah snag him. Uh, would I love to have him? Of course, you know. Do I think it's the right move? Probably not for us. Um, a Gold Coast side, maybe even a Gold Coast side a year or two ago, you'd probably look at yeah, it's a great opportunity. Um, you might get some um, inc- increase. Uh, attendance at games, you know, he brings people through the gates. Uh, it'd be great for some of the young key forwards like Ben King. Um, but like, we don't know how much quality he has left. He's he's had a, another good season, another very serviceable season. Um, but like, would he could he even get through the season without being managed? And, and that next season, that is, um, yeah, what kind of output would we get from him if it was Buddy at 30, even? I'd say, yeah, Buddy Earth. He absolutely has a few years left in him. Buddy 25, absolutely. You know, give him whatever he wants. But yeah, Buddy now, probably not the right move for Brisbane. Um, if he's our answer to Mick Stay leaving, then I think we're straight further from where we want to be. Um, and not to mention our salary cap is tight because one of the things that is being reported that um, he's unhappy with is the Sydney offer. Um, so I don't think we're in a position to offer him um, an excessive amount of money, especially when we're not guaranteed um, a massive return because we have seen in previous seasons that it doesn't take much for Buddy to be in and out of the side. Um, if we can have a season where, like Buddy is having now, he's kicking over 40 goals, fantastic. But would he still have the same success in a Brisbane forward line, which also has Eric Hipwood, Joe Danaher, and Charlie Cameron? I'm not sure. So, look, the Hawthorne Retirement Club um, so far has proved <laughs> to be pretty valuable. Um, you know, the likes of Luke Hodge and Grant Birchall, but they came in and played very different roles. Buddy Franklin is the kind of guy that'd be a focal point of your forward line. We don't need that. Um, the likes of Luke Hodge came in when we were struggling and he he came into a very young side and he had a massive effect on um, our position now. Um, and Grant Birchall the same. He had a bit more experience back there, um, took away a lot of pace, but he had a lot more experience back there. So, um the, the pros and cons to all of it but um in short i don't think we really need um buddy um as chris fagan has said the club wouldn't be doing their due diligence if they went to have that conversation um but i'd, I'd be surprised if it went ahead um, and probably a little bit angry um because you know we're we're right in the window now but in a few years' time, we might have some of our senior players not playing anymore. They might probably retire. You've got a few boys getting on with age. Um, so I think we still certainly need to have an eye on the future too. Um, and like I said, 
Buddy will be straying further away than what we need to be, especially losing a key forward like McStay, which is, I think, looking somewhat likely. Um, a guy that's 26, 27, um, we need someone more towards that age bracket um, for it to be a, a valuable move for us. So, look, I think he should stay at Sydney. Um, obviously, what I think he should do doesn't really matter at all to anyone, especially nobody. <laughs> but um, I'd be surprised if he doesn't stay there and, and finish off his career there. You know, he certainly deserves to um, have that same swan song, Casper, that um, JP Kennedy would be getting. Um, so, yeah. In short, I don't think so. I don't think it's right for us. I don't think it's right for him. Um, and it's, I still don't think it's right for his legacy at Sydney. Think of the greatest forwards in the history of the competition, right? Tony Lockett, uh, Josh Kennedy, not the Swans one, the other one. <laughs> uh, Gary Ablett, senior. Doug Wade. Think of all these great, players and they all have one thing in common they're all two team players now buddy franklin have already missed out on the opportunity to be a great one of the greatest forwards for playing just for one team think of gordon coventry matthew richardson matthew lloyd etc etc but there's no one at least off the top of my head no one inside the top 20 goal kickers He's played for three teams. Now, you might think that this might be an incentive for Buddy to be the first, but I'm saying to you, Bud, don't do it. You know why they are so fondly remembered? They're so fondly remembered by two different franchises. If you go to a third team, you'll play there for, what, one year, maybe two, kick maybe, what, 50 goals in the space of two seasons, retire after a bit. So what? Like, your, your legacy is with Hawthorne and with Sydney. You can't retire at the Hawks. So surely you just got to stay there. It's a desperate ploy, I know, to keep him at the Swans. But think about your legacy, bud. You're a great Swans player. You're not a great Lions player, all right? As for whether or not this makes sense for Brisbane, it absolutely does not. They have too many forwards. Their forward line is not their problem. What the highest scoring team in the competition, not the issue at all. And I agree with you. They get too top heavy in terms of players towards the retirement age. What's that going to do? It's going to push out a young player and they're going to go elsewhere and they're going to dominate at another team. So for me, makes no sense for anyone. If anything, Buddy, I think will retire come the end of the season. Um, and if he does, then hopefully he, he can kick nine goals just so he can shove it in Josh Kennedy's face. <laughs> um, now, speaking of the end of the season, I want to ask you, Eli, what is your prediction two weeks out? How will the top four look come the end of the season? Good luck. Well, this one's just so tough to sort of predict because it can go anyway because – each team is sort of has a pretty difficult run home, except for except for Geelong, which I don't think they're going to move. They're pretty they're pretty firm there. Um, but there's danger games for each each side. Uh, my my gut feel is that it, the teams will stay the same, but Melbourne might just leapfrog Collingwood. Um, I've got more faith in them beating uh, Carlton and and Brisbane than uh, Collingwood beating Sydney. I don't think they'll beat Sydney this this weekend. So. Um, Look, it's it's going to be a line ball, and um, th- as this season's shown us, um, it can go any which way. Um, so, look, Casper in short, I don't know, and I I don't know, and I'm not mad about it in the slightest. <laughs> I'm actually so stoked that it's come down to this point, um, and like the fixturing. Well, in in previous years we've spoken about it. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot of luck this year, but. It, it, the fact that it's it's coming down to this with so many danger games, um, not just in the top four, but to the shape that it shaped the eight, um, and the the team's just looking on the outside um, of that. It's yeah, it, it's it's going to be a great finish to the year, and oh, I'm excited to see it pan out. But um, yeah, I, I feel like it's going to remain somewhat consistent in that top four, except for Melbourne uh, possibly getting a home final. Um, but yeah, hell, anything can happen. 
<laughs> I like it, mate. I like it. Um, I think the top four come down to around 23. Geelong will be top, unsurprisingly. Um, Sydney will be second. I think they beat Collingwood, and I think they absolutely crushed St Kilda. Speaking of crushing St Kilda, I'm tipping Brisbane to, spoiler alert, win their last two games. I think they'll finish third. Big game at the SCG. And I think that due to losing to the Swans, but they'll beat Carlton, I'm tipping Collingwood to finish in fourth. So big qualifying final at the MCG and big qualifying final at the SCG. I think Fremantle, their form, even though they have two very winnable games, I think they've let their form run a little bit too late. And I think they'll probably finish fifth. And I think that Melbourne's form slump is really going to impact them and they'll finish sixth on the ladder Um, and most likely take on the seventh-placed Tigers in a big MCG uh, elimination final, which will hopefully be on the Saturday afternoon. Um, Because, you know, I miss big Saturday afternoon games between two Victorian clubs at the MCG. Uh, Call me a traditionalist. Call me a Victorian. That's what I am. I am a Victorian. And I am a traditionalist and a Victorian one at that. Um, (laughs) Now, I want to ask you, Eli, Josh Kennedy... We talked about the stats, but I want to ask you, was that the greatest last game you've ever seen anyone play? Oh, look, from my memory, yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that it's hard to sort of go back and um, and find any major ones. So, like, in my lifetime, I, I think so. Um, I'm happy to be yeah, um, sort of corrected if there was a, another big one that I've missed. But um, individual performances, yeah, certainly. Um, but in terms of having a great last game, um, the only one that I, that comes to mind is Shane Crawford um, winning the grand final and then retiring. So um, I don't, I'm not sure if he had a good what game I'm at all. What I'm talking about. He's exactly right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like individual performance, uh, I think so. I can't think of another one from memory off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, Shane Crawford's the only one that comes to mind because he won a flag in his last game. So um, it, it was it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible to to kick eight goals at any point in your career that's that's fantastic you've had a, you've had a great day um and people look back and they're like wow you kicked eight goals incredible um but to do it in your last game i think it's a pretty good way to um to sign off you know quit while you're ahead um is, is often the way to go about it um not that he probably had this in mind he probably didn't plan on kicking eight goals and thinking yep i'm still a gun that's it for me <laughs> but yeah it was awesome awesome to watch it was indeed. Now let's head straight into round 22 and it starts off with a monster clash Friday night football at Marvel Stadium. Eli, your Lions taking on a desperate St. Kilda trying to salvage a season where they were 8-3, and three, the Saints. And now they sit on the precipice of finishing potentially with as few as 11 wins, I believe, if I look at the ladder properly, with a poor percentage. I want to ask you, Eli, is a desperate St. Kilda out for big Friday night football? Are your boys up for it? Oh, I certainly hope so. Um, I flagged to you before we started recording that the first game I'm actually going to this year. Uh, one, because Brisbane don't play a lot in Victoria, but um, also because certain things going on and also not having a lot of faith in us setting up to the big games, which was proven true with the Melbourne game at the MCG earlier in the year. Um, and of course, Richmond last week, but I think uh, all week before, sorry now, um, but I think we're up to it. Um, I certainly think that we've got a lot to play for. Um, it, I mean, that goes without saying, but um, we've got a lot of, a lot of doubt. It's a lot of critics. And if the boys don't stand up tonight and really show, the competition more so, but um, also the supporters, what they have, um, then I'm not sure how that's going to bode for our finals um, hopes. Um, but, yeah, in short, I think we've got this. Um, I'm tipping a, a four-goal win, um, but I certainly wouldn't be mad if it was a lot higher. <laughs> I like it, mate. I like it. I think it's going to be a blockbuster uh, nail-biter. Some blockbusters are pretty one-sided. But considering the importance of this game for both teams, I expect these teams to come out breathing fire. I'm tipping the Lions to win a close one, a high-scoring one by 11 points. Now, uh, let me just pull up the rest of the fixture. Don't mind me. It's not like I forgot who plays tomorrow. Uh, Don't judge me, dear listener. It's been a very, very, very long week, all right? (laughs) 
just hold on, hold on. I'm just faffing about. I'm faffing about. Hold on a second. Uh, da, 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 da. I might edit this out. I might not. Let's admit it. I'm probably not going to do that. Here we go. Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon. It's the Dogs and the Giants. This is fairly straightforward. I think the Dogs by five goals. After all that hoo-ha, I don't think I have to explain that one. Do I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, same, same camp. Yeah, the Bulldogs got a lot to play for, so if they don't get up, then you'd be pretty disappointed as a Doggies fan. Dare I say, if they don't get up, I believe that that's season over for them. That they have to, they have to win. On it's already to, pretty tough, yeah. On to the next Saturday afternoon, it's Ben Cunnington making an inspirational return for the Kangaroos. Difficult game out in Adelaide, though, against the Red Hot Crows. They've spoiled one farewell fairy tale. Can they spoil a fairy tale return, Eli? I think they will. Like crows are so hard to predict this year because they've played good footy at at, at times. But um, we've seen North Melbourne um, over the last month or so. Um, they've played some good footy as well. Um, the I mean, off the back of some pretty impressive Nikolaki performances, or no doubt. But um, yeah, I think Adelaide take care of this. Excuse me, uh, reasonably comfortably. Um, but I certainly wouldn't mind if, uh, yeah, Ben Cunnington uh, can get his side over the line. Yep, I like it. Uh, I'm going with the Crows just because I think they're in red hot vein of form and they have the opportunity to finish off a tough season with three wins. Um, and I think they're not going to pass up on that opportunity. I'm tipping the Crows by anywhere from two to five goals. On to Saturday Twilight on the Gold Coast now, this game. Um, dear listener, I am trailing my dad by about 20-plus tips, right? So I've, I've conceded <laughs> the fact that I'm not going to win this year. Congratulations, Dad. I'm officially throwing in the towel, just like Zach Kirkup before the 2021, uh, sorry, the 2020, no, it was 2021, Western Australian state election. Uh, congratulations. You are the Mark McGowan to my Zach Kirkup, Dad. Congratulations. Um, however, with that being said, I've learned my lesson. I'm not tipping four or five upsets every single week anymore. Instead, I'm just going to tip two. This is one of them. Gold Coast to beat Geelong by seven points. Uh, why am I doing that? Last opportunity for the Suns to show just how much they've improved. And here's the thing with winning, with win streaks. Eventually, they're going to come to an end. And I'm not saying that Geelong's going to lose this game on purpose, but, man, you would much rather it end now than in finals football where we know Geelong struggle. So I'm just saying a loss might help them. I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns win. I'm tipping Gold Coast. I've got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. Going down swinging. I'm, I'm honestly thinking about being in the same boat because in yeah, my comp, I'm a, I'm a little bit behind. I'm probably out of the realms of a win, but I could be a chance for a podium. So um, I, yeah, I've still got to go Geelong. Um, I think I might have to go some other upsets this round, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I certainly wouldn't be opposed. It's certainly going to make the final round much more interesting if Gold Coast can get up um, because that'll leave the um, that could potentially leave top spot up for grabs. I like it, mate. I like it a lot. Let's get on to Saturday night football. It's a big one. Melbourne versus Carlton. Patrick Cripps is in for the Blues. Eli, wow. does that make a difference? First of all, I just wanted to say earlier, I forgot to, but um, I think last time I was on, we recorded on a Monday or a Tuesday, and, and now we're recording on a, on a Friday morning. So it's so nice to have all this confirmed information available to us. Um, early in the week would have been speculation, but um, yeah, look, I think... Melbourne, again, we talk about size having a lot to play for. Melbourne's in that boat. They've got so much to play for, and it's not just about a top-four finish and it's a second chance. It could be a home qualifying final. Um, Let's be honest, looking at the sides above them, it could potentially be a home qualifying final anyway in in, in many ways. But, um, but look, they want to be absolutely sure of it because – as, as you pointed out, Casper, it could very well be Brisbane and Sydney leapfrogging teams. Um, so you never know. There could be an interstate trip involved or there could be an interstate advantage at, with their home ground. So um, I've got Melbourne getting up for this one. Um, again, obviously, not to say Carlton don't have a lot to play for. They do. They absolutely do. Um, but uh, I've got more confidence in Melbourne for this one based on just what we know. But it's it's exciting. It's it's going to be – it should be an absolute blockbuster um, at, at the gym on Saturday night. I like it. Uh, will it make a difference? Yes. Instead of I'm tipping Melbourne by four or five goals, I'm tipping Melbourne by about two. Uh, still tipping the Demons to win. On to the other Saturday night game from an MCG blockbuster to a Western derby or derby mockbuster. 
The Dockers are the shortest priced favorites I have ever seen <laughs> in a derby. And the Eagles are at the longest odds I have ever seen for a Western Derby contest ever. The Dockers' biggest winning margin in a derby is 75 points. This could be breached on Saturday night. I don't think it'll be quite that much because the Eagles' last game in Perth, last game in Perth for the season until the finals, I'm tipping Fremantle to win by 10 goals. Yep. Um, there's no guarantee that this will be uh, Monday's final game um, at the uh, at Optus Stadium in front of a home crowd. You know, the, the way finals pan out, you never know. But um, I think there's a lot to play for in that regard. I'm sure the boys won't want to get up for him uh, because it's probably fair to say that Monday's going to get the, the farewell-type reception from the crowd. Um, I think regardless of where they're going to be placed for finals, which... Um, for their sake, they would certainly be hoping to get a um, get a home elimination final. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the boys get up for for Monday quite comfortably. Uh, it's going to be a dominant performance. But um, yeah, hope hope to see a nice reception at Optus Stadium for him. I like it. I like it a lot. Monday. Uh, God, I've been saying that a lot. This is rather not obnoxious, isn't it? Um, I'm going to say something different. I don't like it. There you go. How about that for not being obnoxious? <laughs> On to Sunday afternoon at the MCG, it's Richmond versus a much-improved Hawthorne. Uh, Eli, can the Hawks throw a spanner in the works? I think I'll throw a spanner in the works and challenge Richmond, but I've still got Richmond getting up getting up for this one. Um, I saw firsthand what they can do to a team at the G, especially when they're on fire. So um, I've got Richmond winning this one semi-comfortably, you know, like a 4-5 goal win. But um, again... In my position, I would absolutely love it if Hawthorne got up. That would be a fantastic for me, um, and it would be a, it would increase the chances of a ninth place finish for Richmond. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something after the roller coaster that has been Richmond's season? Uh, no, I'm putting the Tigers. The Hawks have, um, in recent times, really challenged Richmond, and and I think have provided quite the uh, quite the good opponent for the Tigers, but still Richmond play really well against the Hawks. These two teams play really well against each other. I'm tipping the Tigers to win by five goals, four to five goals. I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer. Um, but, yeah, hopefully it's a good game because it's a prelude to the main event on Sunday. It's Sydney versus Collingwood, a top four clash. Whoever wins this will just about be guaranteed a top four spot. Whoever loses will have to rely on their round 23 game to, to guarantee their spot inside the top four. EY, I know we've been going back and forth and back and forth, but I'll let you take this one first. Who wins? Can it be Collingwood 12 in a row or will the Swans be too good at home? I've got a certain Collingwood friend who is very confident um, that they'll get up. Um, and I think that's more out of hope um, because I think Sydney are going to win this um, the, the, earlier in the year, um, there was the there's patches from Sydney where you thought, wow, that they, they could genuinely win the flag, um, and be a massive threat, and they still are a massive threat. But then the other weeks, you're like, oh, they've, they've dropped off a bit, and um, I'm not too sure about them, but I'm absolutely sure about them. Uh, they're the real deal. Thought it all year, but um, there were some like there's always doubt that creeps in. Um, when sides have a few off weeks, but um, yeah, Sydney are in good form. I think they take care of this one. Um, I wouldn't say comfortably because Klein would have shown that they can uh, yeah, challenge sides. And, and when it comes to crunch time, they're going to get up. But like you said earlier with Geelong, all winning streaks come to an end at some point. And I think this week it's Klein's turn. I like it. Look, I'm tipping this one. I'm a Sydney supporter and I hate calling. What do you think I'm going to tip? Um, on to <laughs> the final uh, game of the weekend. Uh, after such a blockbuster weekend of games that will impact the top eight, it feels like a bit of a fit to the finish on one that won't. Um, Essendon versus Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. Uh, you might, the odds are favoring Essendon, and I have no idea why. Port Adelaide has dominated us the last four or five times we've played them. Even when we were doing really well and they weren't in the year 2019 when we played finals football, they ended up nowhere near it. We ended up losing to them by just under 10 goals, and that was at Marvel Stadium. This time around, ah, I mean, seriously, I'm tipping Port. They could absolutely annihilate us. I'm tipping them in a nail-biter. Um, please, Bombers, please don't embarrass us again. I'm tipping it. 
Port Adelaide by 10 points. Yeah, this one I was sort of umming and ahhing about because it could go either way, um, especially with the way, like you said, with the way that the, uh, the odds are. I know some people in my tipping competitions go purely on the odds. Um, so this is a point of difference game for you tippers out there, especially if it's getting towards a business end for you guys and you're a chance. Well done to you. I'm jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think I ended up going for Port in the end um, simply because I think people might be more... Uh, more likely to tip Essendon at um, at Marvel. So no real rhyme or reason, but uh, yeah, I've got Port. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it, man. I like it. Now, uh, Eli, I want to ask you, which game are you most looking forward to? Which game do you think could be the biggest blowout? Game you're most looking for? game you're most looking forward to and biggest blowout dear listener in case this is your first podcast oh, sorry, yeah, you in see. case this is your first podcast listening to dear listener <laughs> we are in australia the land of the slowest internet speed uh in the dare i say in the west in the entire world <laughs> um yeah so i think the game i'm most looking forward to is it's always saturday night footy it's always good um i've got yeah melbourne carlton because it, there's so many ramifications either way um, in shaping the eight and, of course, the top four. So um, looking forward to that one the most. I like it. In terms of the biggest blowout, I'm going for Fremantle to absolutely annihilate West Coast, send them back to 1987. Party like it's 1987 in Perth for the Dockers. Um, as for the game I'm most looking forward to, it's Sydney versus Collingwood. It has to be Sydney versus Collingwood. Melbourne versus Carlton, St. Kilda, Brisbane come close, but Sydney versus Collingwood. Thank you, Eli, for joining me. Best of luck for tonight. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Susan Banner Podcast. Join me next week. There'll be two episodes out, one talking about the AFLW season and previewing round one, and the other one will be talking about uh, the AFL men's round 23. It should be a fantastic conclusion to the home and away season for the AFL. Until then, I've, I don't know what language I see. This is a problem with going with so many languages. Now I can't choose what language to finish off on. So I'm just going to do this. Uh, thank you very much for joining.